Dear Grace Church family, welcome to another episode of Glorified Treasure Spread, and this is our second installment of what we're calling To Grace With Love. That's a title we stole from previous love letters that the elders wrote to the congregation years ago, and we fell out of that good habit, and we're trying to resurrect it here with an audio installment of To Grace With Love, and perhaps we'll have other means of such a, a uh, way of sharing love with the congregation. But in today's episode, I want to do what will be our custom, that is, get to know your church family and a small meditation. I'll share a couple of news and notes, and then you guys can uh, grade your paper. You can see how you did on the little get to know your church family uh, quiz. So today's get to know your church family is a question about pastors, not the pastor's uh, among our congregation currently, or those who have served as elders among us, there are thankfully a handful of those brothers, and <clears throat> we are so thankful for the way that they care for our souls. But I'm thinking now of brothers in our congregation who are who are not elders among us, but who have served as pastors in other congregations. Some of them as vocational. Uh, earning their livelihood from the ministry of the gospel, and some as non-vocational, as lay elders. So by my count, and I fear that I may be forgetting someone, but by my count, in our current covenant membership, there are five brothers. Let me count again. One, two, three, four, five. Yes, I count five brothers in our current covenant membership who have previously served other churches in a pastoral capacity. Well, at the end of this episode, I'll draw attention uh, to who those men are, and maybe if you can get, uh, we'll say three out of five is a is a passing grade. So getting to know your church family, do you know the five brothers who have previously served other congregations in a pastoral capacity? Well, for today's meditation, I want to draw your attention to one of the core statements of practical Christianity in its most condensed form anywhere in Scripture. There are a lot of verses that would fit that description, so there's many times it seems that God compresses and crystallizes the core of what it looks like to walk with Jesus as one who has been purchased by his gospel accomplishments. But I want to draw your attention today to that familiar verse maybe over familiar verse. Maybe we need to become freshly familiar with the verse in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 where in the New American Standard God's word reads, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's enough and it let me start over. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What a power-packed summary statement of Paul's entire hope for favor with God for time and eternity, and what that looks like in his present 
living unto God as one who belongs to Christ. Notice first the past tense, I have been crucified with Christ. That in the death of Jesus, Paul reckoned himself to be dead. And he qualifies by saying, it is no longer I who live. So this post-conversion life, formerly Saul of Tarsus, now the Apostle Paul, change of name representing change of nature, identity. It is no longer I who live. This is the crucified life that he has given himself, body, soul, and mind, entirely to the Redeemer who died for him. Is this your testimony? It is no longer I who live. This life is no longer mine. As Brother Rick says, every morning, practical Christianity looks like two ceremonies. A crucifixion ceremony, the old man putting self to death, and a coronation, the crowning of Christ as king of our life on this new day where we have sufficient mercy supplied to us in order to glorify him. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The abiding presence of the indwelling Christ. That by the person of the Spirit, we are filled with the presence of the Son. That we have not only a relationship with a distant deity somewhere off in the heavens, but we have within our souls the life of Christ. He comes to take up residence in the lives of his people. Therefore, Paul would say, the life which I now live in the flesh, which seems like a contradiction. He just said he no longer lives, but obviously he's still alive. He's pinning the letter for crying out loud. But he sees his life through entirely new lenses now that he's in Christ. Namely, it's not his life. Rather, the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. By faith, that is a reliance upon Christ. By faith in the Son of God, a wholehearted trustedness to the Lord Jesus. And he is to be trusted without reservation, without fear, without apprehension, without concern or worry that he may fail because of the qualifying phrase, he has already proven his agape toward us. He has loved us and given himself up for us. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. God demonstrates, present tense, Romans 5, his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Paul is saying here in this crystallized statement of practical Christianity, the life which I now live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Having met God in Christ at the cross, Paul cannot unsee God's immeasurable love for him. And he had it as his life's ambition to know the unknowable, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, the heights, depths, breadth, the length, to know this overwhelming 
without brim or bottom ocean of God's love. Friends, that's the blessed life, but it's also practical Christianity. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. But in Galatians, Paul's dealing especially with this precious truth of justification. How does God save a soul? Therefore, he attaches the next verse. I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not empty it. I do not void God's grace for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Maybe an oversimplified paraphrase of that verse, but one that I think captures the core of what Paul is saying is this. You could say it negatively. If you believe that you can earn favor with God by your own self-effort through the law, through your effort, then that is tantamount, equal at the highest level, to saying to God, there was no need for Christ to die for you. Friends, you may be smart, and no doubt many of you are far smarter than me, but you're not smarter than God. And we can rest assured that if there had been any other way for us to be reconciled to God than the death of his Son, God would have been the first to have thought of that option. There must be no other way. Or to use Paul's words, Christ did not die needlessly. Essential to my fellowship with God was the mutilation of his son. Well, as you think about this summary of the Christian life, may your heart be drawn back to Calvary and may your faith be refreshed in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. And may you have this happy and wholehearted testimony that it is no longer you that is living your life, but rather Christ living in you. For you have been crucified with him. Well, I pray that that will bless you and encourage you stimulate you along the pathway of everlasting joy. And back to our closing um, moment to see how you did on knowing your church members. Let me put that quiz back in your mind. Five current covenant members who are not elders among us who have previously pastored in other congregations. And just before that, I want to remind everybody that if you listen before this weekend, today is February the 4th, we have a special guest coming in to spend some time with us, our pastors and some other pastors in the area. His name is Chris Bruno. He is one that we joyfully supported with our fall missions offering at the end of 2020. And he is coming because we've asked him just to share briefly in our service. And he's, as I said, meeting with other pastors in the area over the next few days. Uh, the Lord has led him to start a new work of theological education and church establishment in Hawaii and the Pacific Islands. Now that may sound like a calling many of you would like to have, but I want to encourage you to uh, be eager to hear what the Lord's up to and how Grace Church may be able to be involved. Well, who are the five brothers? Let's see if you know three. One of them is our brother 
Trey Davis. He's not currently an elder, but he has been recommended again to the congregation as a candidate for eldership. So perhaps in a few weeks, he will be an elder among us. But Trey Davis pastored previously. Jason Harrington pastored in Louisiana. Tim Hill served as a lay elder at a church previously alongside Brother Kevin Hinton. They were co-laboring together as lay elders in another congregation before the Lord brought them to Grace Church. And then also our brother Byron Russell down in Mississippi was serving a congregation as a lay elder. Well, I love you. God bless you. This is To Grace with Love.